the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Beloved, there has never been a time in God's mind through all eternity when he has ever thought of you apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What an amazing statement by the Apostle Paul, and it is a statement that we'll spend time looking at in depth here today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We invite you to join us today as we understand the depths of this amazing verse and just what it really means and the liberation that we find in the midst of it all. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. And today we come to one of the most famous and one of the most profound verses in the entire Bible. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. If you understand and believe this verse, you understand and believe the heart of the gospel. In fact, understanding and believing this verse is essential to living the Christian life successfully. Many of the failures and frustrations that we have as Christians result from our failure to understand Believe and practice what this verse teaches. So let us consider it carefully today with a prayer that as a result of our study, we might be more faithful and stronger Christians. As always, to understand a verse in the Bible correctly, that verse must be studied in the light of its context. I've emphasized this time and again, but it's important for us to know that this is true because the various verses of the Bible are themselves in paragraphs, which are longer discussions of specific themes, answering specific needs and problems in the lives of real congregations in the first century. The way our modern Bibles are formatted with verses, which can be helpful but sometimes can be hindrances to accurate Bible studies because it leaves the impression with many people that the Bible is just a book of verses for every day. This is my verse for today. It's just a collection of verses that we are to read as a devotional. My favorite verse is this. Your favorite verse is that. It just becomes a book where you pick and choose verses to meditate on or memorize. 
But these verses are in paragraphs. And you and I must learn to read the Bible not in terms of the verse numbers, but in terms of the paragraphs in Scripture. In the New American Standard Version, for instance, paragraphs begin with a bold number. And each verse in the Bible has a context that you must always keep in mind to one degree or another if you are going to understand the verse. First of all, there is the immediate context of the verse. That is, the paragraph that it is in, the paragraphs that are below it, the paragraphs that are above it, and the chapter that it is in. The second context is the book in which that particular verse is located. What is the theme of the book? Why is this particular book written? How does this verse illustrate or advance or explain the theme of the book? Of course, it makes all the difference in the world as to which one of the testaments the book is in. Then, of course... Every verse in the Bible has to be understood in light of the overall theme of the Bible, which is the covenant, that bond of friendship that God sent the Lord Jesus Christ onto the earth to establish between God and his chosen people in him. By always considering a verse's context, you and I are not only able to understand the verse correctly, but you and I protect ourselves from reading into a verse that we are studying with any preconceived notions that we might already have. And you know, all of the cults I know of were created by quoting verses without considering the context in which those verses come, making the verses say, whatever a particular person wants those verses to say. So then, what is the context of Galatians 2.20? I'm talking all this time now because, or taking all this time now, because Galatians 2.20 has had books written on this subject and have been misunderstood by many through recent generations. For instance, let me remind you what the theme and the purpose of the book of Galatians is. Paul wrote the book to these churches in middle southern Turkey because they were under attack by false teachers. They were in the process of being subverted from the true gospel. Paul's authority was being discredited. The gospel was being changed, so Paul wrote the book of Galatians to establish his authority as being the authority of Christ and of God. And they were to listen to him, not to those false teachers who were, who were misleading them. And moreover, he spends the entire book to let us know here is what God's gospel truly is. Good news about God from God. It's not good news from man about God because that would simply be irrelevant. 
It is good news from God about God. So he uses the book to define the gospel as the gospel of God's unmerited favor to all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and who rest upon him alone for salvation. In this passage, verses 15 through 21, Paul is doing two things. First of all, he is drawing a contrast as clear as it can be drawn between the way the ordinary man in his day and the ordinary man in our day thinks you get to God. And that is by earning your way to him. Making enough points with God that when you come to the end of your life, God is going to look upon you with favor or justify you by the works of the law, which will get you nowhere but hell. Contrasted with God's way to salvation, which is justification by faith in Christ alone. That is, you recognize your sinfulness, your hopelessness before God, You recognize your only way to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ, so you receive him as your Lord and Savior. You rest upon him alone, and at that moment, the judge of heaven and earth declares you not guilty and accepts you into his family on the basis of what the Lord Jesus Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection. Then in this passage, he shows us an objection that people give to this doctrine then and they do now. They say, well, wait a minute. If it is true that God justifies you and saves you through faith in Christ alone, and you don't have to merit anything, and once you believe in Christ, none of your sins, past, present, or future, will ever condemn you again, And if you don't have to keep earning it in some way, but you just rest in Christ, doesn't that encourage indifference to how you live? Won't that encourage a person to believe, well, I'm a Christian. God's not going to hold my sins against me through faith in Christ alone. I can't merit it, not by my behavior. Nothing I can do will earn it. Wouldn't that encourage a person just to live however he pleases and disregard God's claims on his life? Paul deals with that particular problem, and we must answer it too, which we did last week. First of all, we would agree with that person. We would say that no doctrine that anyone comes to you and preaches is true if it makes it easier for you to sin. No doctrine is true if it abrogates the abiding authority of God's commandments in the believer. If anyone comes to you with a doctrine from any source and says... The law of God has less claim on you now than it once had in the Old Testament. You know, now you just love everyone and yield yourself up to the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about the jots and the tittles of the law of God. That is a lie and it is false and it is not to ever be believed. The second thing we would say, as Paul said, 
is that justification by faith alone does not do away with God's law. Listen to this. It puts it in the right place. Paul said we don't nullify the law of God. On the contrary, we establish the law of God. The problem was these Judaizers or legalists in the New Testament was that they were putting the law of God in the wrong place. They were saying, if you want to be justified by God and saved by Him, you must obey the law of God. Paul said, that's the wrong place for the law. You can't get to God by obeying the law. You get to God only through faith in Christ alone. You put the law on the other side of salvation. Because once you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gives us his law to show us how to express our faith and our love and our obedience and our service to him throughout our lives. So Paul is saying, I don't make it easy for people to sin I just put the law of God in the right place as the rule of life for my people. Then look at verse 17. They were saying, well, this doctrine of yours, Paul, of justification by faith in Christ alone, if you sin after that, does that mean it is Christ's fault? Isn't this Christ encouraging people to sin? And Paul says, not in any way at all. If I ever sin, after I've been saved, it is my fault, not Christ's. You cannot blame him. He is saying, in effect, believing that our doctrine lulls anyone into indifference about sinning is ludicrous. And anyone who says that shows a great misunderstanding of the gospel. Now here again, I would remind you to notice the words that are used. We must not just read quickly over the words of Scripture. In verse 16, he talked about being justified through faith in Christ. But in verse 17, he talks about being justified in Christ. And he changes the, the phraseology on purpose. Because we are justified in Christ when we are justified by faith in Christ. That is, in order to be accepted with God, you have got to be brought into the closest possible union that any human being can experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then God accepts you because of your union with Him. And when a person is brought into this intimate closeness with Jesus Christ, he's never the same again. He is transformed by that union. He is radically and permanently changed. And he does not go back to that old way of life that he was once living. We saw last week that the fundamental doctrine of the New Testament epistles, particularly, is the union with Christ because of which we have all the other blessings of salvation. If a person is not closely related to Christ in this vital union, he is outside the realm of God's salvation. 
It is only when a person comes into contact with Christ that he receives in his life by faith all of the blessings and riches and power of the salvation Christ accomplished on the cross. In fact, our union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. The whole process of salvation has its origin in our union with Christ. And every phase of salvation thereafter takes place because of our union with Christ. I encourage you sometime to take out your concordance and look up the phrase, in Christ. It is a key phrase in understanding the epistles, and you will see some amazing things. For instance, the Bible says we were chosen and predestined in Christ. That is, before the beginning of time, when God saw the entire fallen human race undeserving of salvation, incapable of saving themselves, he chose a vast number to be saved, and he pictured them as in Christ. That is, beloved, there has never been a time in God's mind through all eternity when he has ever thought of you apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only reason we as sinners have ever appealed to God in all eternity is because in his mind, from all eternity, we were in Christ. And it is because of that relationship that he sent his son to save us. The Bible says that we died and were raised from the dead when Christ died and was raised from the dead. You see, there's a a legal union between all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ That when he died on the cross, he was not just our substitute, he was our proxy. Have you ever had to use a legal proxy? You can't sign a contract, so you hire a man to sign your name, and that was just as if you signed your name to represent you, or to speak for you, so when he spoke, It was legally you speaking in a court of law. Well, when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross as our proxy, we died. When he was punished for our sins, it was as if we were being punished for our sins in him. And when he arose from the dead, we arose from the dead. And that union we have with Christ legally and fundamentally in history is the basis of our salvation. The Bible says that we are recreated in Christ. That this legal union we have with Christ that began all the way back in the mind of God before time began is the basis of our salvation. Because when he died on the cross, we died on the cross to sin. And when he arose to newness of life, we arose to newness of life. That relationship affects us personally and experientially in our everyday lives. So the Bible says that those who shared in Christ's death and resurrection 2,000 years ago, sometime or another in their lives, 
they are going to experience the effects of that in the total transformation of their lives. They are going to be brought into a vital union with Christ, Christ because of which and through which they are going to be recreated into Christ's image. And that is what the Bible says. If any person is in Christ, he is a new creation, and old things have passed away. Behold, all has become new. The Bible says we live out our entire Christian lives in Christ. It's not that you were just chosen in Christ, that you died and rose again in Christ, you were recreated in Christ, but every day of your life you are embraced in the arms of Jesus. Every day of your life you are in his embrace. You are in Christ. That is what Jesus was getting at when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who really abide in me, I abide in them. And this is the context. This is the source. This is the atmosphere every day of their lives as Christians. Then the Bible says that we as believers die in Christ. That when we die, Christ still holds us in his arms. He doesn't relax that embrace. He holds us even more tightly to his heart when we leave this world in physical death. And then the Bible teaches us that we, are, we will be physically resurrected and glorified in Christ when he comes again. There's a very interesting verse in the Bible that says... When Christ comes again, the dead in Christ shall rise. Have you ever thought about that? Well, dead is an adjective. So the dead what? Your souls are not dead. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So your soul is not dead. When you die, your soul goes to be present with Jesus, and your soul is in Christ, obviously. But the Bible says when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ shall rise. The soul experienced resurrection when you were born again. So what is this, the dead in Christ shall rise? It is, of course, your body. Your dead body is in Christ in the grave. Everything about you is in Christ, past, present, future, spiritual, and physical. A Christian cannot think of a time in the past, in the past or the present or the future when he will ever be anywhere else but safe in the arms of Jesus. Beloved, is that the way you think? Is that the way you live your present life? Is that the way you face your future? What is the nature of this union that we have with Christ that puts us in a brand new relationship with God? Well, first of all, it is spiritual. Now, the word spiritual is one of the most misunderstood words in all the Bible. It should be spelled in English with a capital S. Because the word spiritual today, because of the influences of Greek thought, like Platonism upon our thinking, 
rather than the word of God. Uh, uh, thinking rather than on the word of God. Spiritual is something you can just put your hand through. You know, spiritual like Casper the Friendly Ghost as over this pulpit. Well, that is not the way the word spiritual is used most of the time in Scripture. So it should be spelled with a capital S because it means spirit-produced, spirit-wrought, something the Holy Spirit of God accomplishes in your life. And this close relationship we have with Christ, its creator, its bond, its sustainer, is none other than the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is four. 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB, that stands for Post Mailbox, number 402-1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.